Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Hi there, it's Rob here, the producer of the Witch Money podcast. And before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to tell you all about a brand new podcast from us here at Witch that I think you're really going to enjoy. Now, it's called Witch Shorts, and in that podcast, we'll be bringing you the very best articles from across witch.co.uk and our various magazines. Now, those articles will be there every single week, available for you to listen to. And that's because we know you're busy, so you can have a listen wherever you are to our insightful journalism. So you might be at home, you might be on the move, but you'll be able to enjoy them wherever you are. Now, we've already released our first batch of episodes for you to listen to. You can hear everything from a deep dive into cryptocurrency to investigating NHS versus private healthcare and even a trip to Crete as well to give you a bit of summer holiday inspiration. So all you need to do is search Witch Shorts wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. It's about crafting a believable world for the person who they're talking to, about making that person not just believe the story they're telling them, but also impress some degree of urgency on them to act and indeed, obviously, to pay out money. I've actually helped a lady who herself worked in financial services, was very financially literate. She was uh, approached by a scammer on the phone and convinced to send more than £100,000, I believe it was. It could be an email disguised as a message from a friend, someone impersonating a trusted brand, even an online relationship with an unscrupulous criminal promising to be the love of your life. They stop at nothing and with the cost of living crisis continuing, the number of scams too continues to rise. According to the Office for National Statistics, Action Fraud reported a 27% rise in fraud offences in the year ending September 21 compared to the previous and this is just the tip of the iceberg. This week to talk us through this continued so-called scamdemic, I'm joined by witch journalist and scam expert Faye Lipson and reporter and investigative filmmaker Nick Stapleton. It's so great to have you both with such a wealth of experience in this area on the show today. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. So Nick, can we start then? Um, people may have seen you as part of the recent BBC daytime show, The Scam Interceptors. It's the most brilliant concept of hacking the hackers. And it, and it really did have me on tenterhooks watching it. Can you tell us a bit about the show and what you were doing? Of course, no problem at all. So essentially, the programme is it's a wiretap of scam call centres. And mm. it allowed us to, to sit there and uh, it... For, the best part of two months in a room and listen in on live scams happening every single day. Across the series, we listened in on a number of different call centres that we knew to be doing fraud. 
and we were able to both see their computer screens at times and switch between the computer screens of different scammers within one call center, but also to actually hear the conversations that they were having with people Mm. in the UK. Now, obviously, what that meant was, with the powers of investigative journalism, we were able to pull the details of those potential victims and then actually try and get in touch with them before they fell victim to a scam. And essentially what that meant was we were able to save people money and stop them from paying out to people who are just criminals trying it on. It's really, really fascinating stuff. And, you know, watching the show, you really get a sense of the scale of the problem. And and Faye, you've been at the forefront of the scam landscape now for years, investigating all sorts of dodgy ads, websites, text, you name it. And actually, I'd be surprised if listeners had never received a fake text pretending to be from a delivery company or an automated call impersonating the government. You know, the list goes on. Is it getting worse, do you think? Um, unfortunately, it is. Um, it's mm. it's the most prevalent type of crime in the UK. Um, it's the type of crime that any individual person is most likely to encounter. Um, every year, there are well over 4 million instances of fraud. So that's affecting wow. vast numbers of people. Um, and we ha- even have a situation where um, fraud thrives in a crisis. So for example, in the Uh, early months of the pandemic in 2020, lots of types of crime dropped dramatically, for example, violent crimes, and fraud actually surged as um, fraudsters had a, you know, a captive audience of people looking at their phones and and screens. Um, So it really does seem to be a type of crime that's coming in huge volumes, um, at times feels a bit unstoppable. Um, and everybody really needs to be on their guard at all times. Yeah, and one of the things that can often make scams appear genuine, as it did during the pandemic, um, is their timeliness, with with criminals really pouncing on any newsworthy and current vulnerabilities in our daily lives. Speaking on this last week to The Guardian, the head of the UK's specialist police unit for fraud warned the cost of living crisis could be the next target for scammers. And Faye, we're already seeing this, aren't we? That's absolutely right. We've actually got some research coming out with Witch Money um, very soon about an array of um, energy related scams that are affecting people who are concerned about the increase in their bills. Um, all different ways in which scammers are approaching people, pretending to offer grants, pretending to represent Ofgem, the, the energy regulator, um, and um, devices which claim to offer um, energy saving capabilities, but actually are um, quite dangerous. Um, and it, it's just extraordinary the breadth of different um, scams which um, are being perpetrated by people mm. kind of latching on to the um the uh, current cost of living crisis. And and I'm sure we'll only see more of those in the coming months. I'm sure we will, sadly. And we should also here just give a shout out to Faye's investigation into dodgy debt advice, which we published in a fascinating podcast episode packed also with loads of advice earlier this month. So do go back and have a listen if you haven't already. Now, Nick, on scammers essentially capitalising on, on current affairs. Before the show, you mentioned a really telling example of this, how scammers weaved a recent storm into the, sco- into the story of, of their scam. That's right, yeah. And this was something that really surprised me and I didn't necessarily realise before we started making this show about the way that scam call centres work, which is that they are incredibly reactive and incredibly responsive mm. to current events. Now, we were making the programme back in January 
And at the time, one of the call centres were operating a scam where they would ring out to potential victims pretending to be calling from BT technical support and saying that there was a problem with that person's internet connection. That was their kind of route into the scam. Now, what they'd weaved into the script was a line that said, oh, well, we understand, you know, as a result of Storm Arwin, that you may be having some problems with your internet connection. So they were just getting into the head of that person on the other end of the phone, saying to them, you know, here's a recent thing that's actually happened that may have genuinely affected to you. And we know did actually affect lots of people across the UK, not just their internet connections, but their power, you know, a number of different ways. And it obviously then that mm. makes their, their entire story so much more believable to the person on the end of the phone. And that is so much of what these scammers are about. It's about crafting a believable world for the person who they're talking to about making that person not just believe the story they're telling them but also impress some degree of urgency on them to act and indeed obviously to pay out money yeah as you say they are so reactive aren't they and criminals really do try and create so much theatre around scams and there are some that seem to crop up time and time again and really peak at certain times of year in line with trends like filing your tax return or shopping before Christmas. Faye at the start of the year which published an article looking back at the most prevalent scams of 2021 and looking back at last year and ahead to the rest of 2022 could you predict areas scammers are likely to exploit and, and when? Yes. So one of the biggest scam trends we saw over the last year was uh, the phenomenon of um, delivery text scams, um, where uh, you receive a text that looks like it's from a major uh, courier service and um, or Royal Mail indeed. And it says that you've got a parcel coming um, or you've just missed a parcel um, and you might have uh, an extra fee to pay. And you've got to click on a link on the text to to sort that out. Um, but actually you're then tricked into giving away your your payment details to a scammer. The reason that's become so prevalent is obviously we've become used to shopping online more and at any given time somebody might be um, expecting a parcel. Indeed, probably most of us are. So that's very convincing and we can expect to see that continue as I think this is a long-term change to people's shopping trends. Um, looking ahead, I think, you know, today we've just had an enormous, you know, package of relief measures announced by the Chancellor for people's energy bills. Um, there's going to be, you know, grant schemes, payment schemes for people on certain benefits and in certain situations. I think, unfortunately, we're going to see a huge array of scams cropping up over the next few weeks and months um, with fraudsters emulating these schemes, pretending to work for Ofgem or for government departments and tricking people out of their personal and financial details. And Another type of scam I'm sure listeners are all too familiar with is automated phone calls. Now, they make up part of a very big business for fraudsters. Ofcom reported that 45 million Brits received a scam call or text in the last year, which wildly, and I had to check this because I was so shocked by the figure, is around two thirds of the entire population. Now, one notorious scam call I'm sure you'll have heard of pretends to be from HMRC. And we can have a listen to one of these horrendous calls now. Here's real audio of this scam we obtained at which i need you or your retained solicitor of record to call us back the issue at hand is extremely time sensitive this is officer sarah wilson from hm revenue and customs the hotline to my division is 0127 479 2457 i repeat it is 0127 479 
1-800-242-8857. Do not disregard this message, and call us back. If you do not call us back, or we do not hear from the solicitor either, then get ready to face the legal consequences. Goodbye, and take care. Nick, you've seen this scam tactic used time and time again by scammers, haven't you? We have indeed. And this is something that I found as part of the program. We saw just time and time and time again. The robocalls, which are that robotic voice mm. that you just heard, which you answer the phone, and it's it's a voice that tells you that there's some action that you need to take um, because, for example, in the case of that one, it's related to your tax affairs, but in plenty of others, it might be that someone spent something on your Amazon account, yes. supposedly. These robocalls are brilliant for the scammers, and that's because they run their call centers like a legitimate business runs its call center. So what those robocalls are doing is they are generating hot leads for the scammers. So when you get that robocall and you respond positively to it, i.e. by doing what they want you to do and pressing one, what you're telling that scam call center is that you are a potentially viable victim of this scam. So what they can do is they can send out one of the call centers we monitored. They were doing about 100,000 robocalls a day. So about half million, half million a week, 23 million a year, something like that. Right. Mm. You imagine however many people get those calls, a certain number then respond. There's a little whittle down for the scam call center. They know those people who responded are likely to be potentially viable victims. And then again, once that call starts, they whittle down again until they know whether or not the people that they're speaking to, their data set is actually a list of what they call then a sucker list, which they then sell on to somebody else. Mm. So it's it's incredibly devious, but it is essentially just the way that a real call center works. They whittle down data, they classify it, and they work out who's a, who's a viable client or in the case of our scam call centers, victim. It's so interesting to hear about some of the internal workings going on here. Uh, And can we talk a bit more about scammer behaviour? Nick, as part of Scam Interceptors, you watch these scams play out in real time. Thankfully, we should say managing to prevent almost all of those featured in the programme being defrauded. What did you learn about the way scammers interact with these would-be victims? I think we learned that they... They use a number of methods to psychologically essentially intimidate the person on the end of the phone into doing what they want them Mm -hmm. to do. And depending on what the type of scam is, that can change drastically. So, for example, there's a scam going around at the moment which relates to Amazon Prime. And the scam call centre who were running that one would essentially talk you through supposedly getting a refund for a month's payment for Prime, which you hadn't asked for. And what they'll do is they'll take you to a form online. And then as you fill out that form, they'll say to you several times, it's very important you don't make any mistakes when filling out this form. And on the form itself, it also says, please don't make any mistakes when filling out the form. Now that's seeding the idea, obviously, that you need to be very careful while you're doing this. When those victims then actually filled out their form and clicked on submit, they would have to put the amount that they were expecting to be returned, which in the case of this scam was about 80 quid. But when they click submit on the next page, suddenly it would say that they'd asked for £8,000. Now, at that point, the scammer would say to that victim, oh, what have you done? Oh, no, what a disaster. What a terrible mistake you've made. Making that person on the end of the line feel incredibly ashamed that they had actually done something wrong and they then needed to help the scammer fix the problem. Yeah, and that that tool of shame is actually very high up on the list of of sort of new behaviours that I think we, we saw from them. But I would say also that, like I said before, just creating panic amongst people 
and often relying mm. on distraction and really jumping on distraction when they know that somebody has their brain on something else. Like, for example, they've got childcare going on or they might be at the work and the victim has said that to the scammer on the phone. The scammer will jump on that opportunity and they will mm. always go even harder on the scam at that point because they know this person's not entirely thinking about what I'm saying to them. They're too busy doing something else. And, and Faye, how are their methods developing? What are some of the sneakiest and unfortunately sophisticated tactics scammers are using these days? One of the most worrying and troubling things that we see at which is spoofing, whereby mm. fraudsters can actually um, emulate a legitimate phone number on your caller ID or yeah. um, emulate a legitimate um, the name of a legitimate company um, at the top of a thread of, of text messages. Um, that's called spoofing. That's incredibly easy for um, fraudsters to do online. I can send out masses of calls and um, texts that way um, with spoofed numbers. Um, and um, if you receive one, it looks exactly like it's come from uh, the number on your banking card, for example, or um, the number of your um, uh, your energy provider, for example, or HMRC, and and then you think you're speaking to the real thing, and so you'll do what you're what you're told to do. And unfortunately, what this means is that you have to be incredibly wary of anyone contacting you to ask for your personal details or your banking details, or to send you send money to to them and that goes for whether it looks completely legitimate or not you you always have to take that extra step of trying to verify what you've been told and just while we're on this how might consumers do that because as you say it's so hard to tell the difference between what could be a real text from your bank or your energy supplier and one that's a spoofed scam message Yes, it really is difficult. And really, it comes down to a bit of advice that we always share called take five, uh, which means take five minutes, step back, Mm. think about what you've been told. Don't be rushed or panicked, um, as Nick was just um, alluding to. A legitimate company will always give you that time. Um, So take five minutes to think about how you might verify it. So if somebody's pretending to be from your bank or claiming to be from your bank, you could then look at the number on the back of your card and phone it up and then know that you'll get through to the real thing Um, if it's uh, an energy company you can look at the number on your bill if it's something related to the government or HMRC all of the relevant phone numbers will be um, on the gov.uk website there's a, a, a register of companies on the Financial Conduct Authority's website. So any kind of financial service related company, you can find their legitimate contact details on there. And it's about getting in touch with the real thing and making sure that mm-hmm. they're the one that has sent you um, whatever you've just received. Take five, a very, very important one to remember. And a tactic that seems to be cropping up more and more is when there's a second stage to a scam, where you get a call from someone pretending to be your bank. And I experienced this firsthand for an investigation into a recent energy scam doing the rounds for which. Um, it started with an email saying it was from an energy provider, took me to a fake website where I gave away details that I'd set up for the investigation Then stage two, I got a call from a scammer pretending to be my bank and I watched them try and steal nearly a thousand pounds from my account. It was absolutely unscrupulous, but it's all too common now, isn't it? It is. So um, essentially, uh, banks and other organisations have tried to develop methods of preventing fraud 
Um, and now scammers have to try and engineer their way around those. So one of the things they'll often do is add an extra step where they phone you back and they're trying to gain access to your account. They know that by logging in or trying to log in, um, they'll generate a um, like a one-time passcode to be sent to your phone. Um, and then if they're in touch with you, you can then give that to them and they can get full access to your account, for example. Um, another problem um, is uh, people... Uh, installing something called remote access software onto their onto their machines. And so this is where a fraudster calls them up and convinces mm. them to um, install something which lets the fraudster take over the computer or at least view the screen, which means that you're the one that's then actually giving them the keys to the kingdom. They can see all they can see you inputting all your passwords and so on. Um, they can get into your online bank mm. account because you're in logging into your online bank account. And so by by adding these extra steps, these extra phone calls, extra methods of contact, um, the fraudsters can just in, invade more of your life and gather even more information about you. We did actually see a, a two-step scam um, as part of the series as well, where one of the call centres that we were monitoring, they would ring out to people in the UK who they would only have the surname of, really, the surname and a phone number. But in the initial phone call that they made, all they would do is essentially call that person and say, oh, hello, is this Mr. or Mrs. X? And they would just have a chat with them as if they were calling from their, their bank. And in that first call, all they would attempt to do is essentially to glean as much information from that person as they possibly could. So they had a little bit of info, but they'd just try and fill it out with more. So, for example, you know, what their local bank was, uh, which one they go to most commonly. Uh, if they were willing to give it, they'd ask for an account number or a sort code because they were just trying to essentially just ver supposedly verify information about this person. Now, that call would come to an end. And seemingly no money has been exchanged. Everything's absolutely fine. The victim has nothing to worry about. But it would then be followed up with a second phone call, which the scammers claimed, this is the same scam call center calling, different scammer, where they claimed they'd actually be ringing from your local branch of your bank. And at that point, they'd start trying to take money off that victim. So they would call back with a bunch of info, maybe two weeks later, and seem totally legit because of the fact they could say, oh, I know that this is your name. I know that you've got this account with us and this account with us and that you normally come to us to do your banking at this particular branch. So the person on the end of the line would really believe that they were actually talking to someone from their bank because of the fact that all that info had been gathered in that initial phone call. It's Awful, awful stuff, isn't it? And one thing that I'm shocked by is the breadth of the scammer network, how multiple criminals are involved in any given scam. And say just clicking on a scam email or, or entering your details on a fake website could spiral into other scammers getting your details and trying to scam you further down the line. Nick, you've already painted quite a picture, but can you give us any further detail on the size of the operations you saw firsthand and how they work? This is possibly the most striking thing that I that I learned making scam interceptors. Yeah. I knew that scam call centers existed and I knew that there were people out there, you know, trying to take our money in this way. What I did not know is that there is an entire industry of scam call centers out there doing their thing. Now, like I said before, there was one call center who we monitored in the series. There were about 35 of them in an office doing about half a million robocalls outbound a week. Now, how many people responded to that? You can imagine, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's probably in their thousands every week and then whittle that down to the ones that are successful. That's a huge number. That is one call center doing half a million calls a week. We in the series maybe monitored like 10, 15, hard to say. It was quite a few different ones but they all came from one particular neighbourhood of one particular city in India. 
Now, if you broaden that out across every other call center that you can imagine doing the same thing, we're talking huge, huge, huge numbers of people doing this kind of crime. And part of the reason that there's so many people doing it is, like we've discussed, it's a huge success. It works. They're so successful, they don't even bother if they find out you've got anything less than £1,000 in your bank account. They'll just hang up or they'll just tell you everything's fine and end the call. Um, on top of that, we're talking day shifts, night shifts, six days a week. The day shift rings the UK, the night shift rings the US. In some of the call centers, they've got people who speak Spanish, people who speak Dutch, people who speak German, just so they can broaden their customer base. It is incredible. They've got human resources departments, you know, job adverts online, like completely legitimate companies. And to me, perhaps most worryingly of all, we did often see ones where they just had one floor that was doing fraud within a much larger legitimate business. And what that means, obviously, is that it's very easy for them to wash the dirty money they make doing fraud within legitimate money made doing legitimate business. And that makes them very, very, very difficult to stop. It's such a huge, huge industry from the picture you're painting. And it it does make me wonder, how are the authorities cracking down on, on all of these criminals? I think it's incredibly difficult for them. And... There's a reason for that, which is that obviously the crime is occurring outside of the UK. And in our case, you know, the victims here, they can report the crime to action fraud. And then perhaps that if it's a large enough fraud gets passed on to someone like the National Crime Agency. But then you've got the National Crime Agency needing to get in touch with Interpol and then Interpol needing to get in touch with the Indian authorities. And the amount of collaboration that's necessary from start to finish to get from person in the UK who receives phone call from spoofed phone number and pays out money to a bank account probably of a UK individual that then pays out money to a bank account, probably somewhere abroad, that then pays out to another third country, that then pays out to a fourth country that eventually makes its way back to India. Following that paper trail for those combined authorities is, is virtually impossible. So I think it's, it's incredibly difficult to stop. I did actually see a headline earlier this month uh, where 2.7 million attempted frauds were interrupted by the, the NCSC, which is the UK Cybersecurity Unit. So we're doing a lot. There is a lot being done, but but is it enough, I suppose, is the question. Um, it's just an endless task for the people um, who are actually, you know, issuing takedown notices for scam mm. websites, um, trying to get uh, scam phone numbers taken off air. Um, it, it's absolutely endless. You'll hear the phrase whack-a-mole, you know, mm. in, in the anti-fraud community. It truly is the second one goes down another one pops up it's not a problem that can really be um resolved with kind of manual human effort that the solutions really need to come from technology itself that's such an interesting point Faye. technology it's advancing at such a rate but is it helping us the consumers the authorities or is it really in favor of the criminals i think it's it's, it's a very very difficult question to answer the only thing i would say is that from our experience, at least of making this show and my experience of doing scams in general, 99.9% of scam calls come through VoIP. And yeah, as in voice over internet protocol calls, which go through a computer. If there was some way that we could have to essentially monitor or, or observe where VoIP calls were coming from, then perhaps that would be it. But it's, you know, I think we're talking pie in the sky. Ofcom's looking into that, but they don't have any... They don't have any um, concrete solutions. They were maybe looking at some sort of directory on the on running on blockchain that verified people's phone numbers and stuff. But it, yeah, as you say, it's very like blue sky thinking. 
and and the other thing about the other thing about VoIP as well is that the scam call centers we monitored, you would be looking at we we knew where they were physically. We knew exactly often what literally what building they were in. Um, but of course, every single one of them used VPNs. So they would just have a VPN that said they were ringing from the US or that they were ringing from Germany or that they were ringing from, from China or whatever it might be. None of them wanted you to know that they were calling from India. We will find a solution, but I'm not sure what it is yet. Before we go into advice for anyone who thinks they've seen a scam or, or may have been a victim to a scam, can we just touch on who scammers target? Because I think it's fair to say it could happen to any of us if it catches you at the wrong time. Do any particular stories stand out for either of you from your time working on scams? I've um, actually helped a lady who herself worked in financial services, was very financially literate. Um, But when she was at a low ebb, living alone in um, the first lockdown in 2020, and also helping to nurse a friend through cancer, um, she was uh, approached by a scammer on the phone and convinced to send um, more than £100,000, I believe it was, thinking that she was speaking to her bank. I think this really underlines that you can really, you know, be a very um, knowledgeable, sophisticated, intelligent person. Um, and all the scammers need to do is catch you at your weakest point, um, you know, when you've got a lot of stuff going on, as Nick's touched on. And and truly, anybody could be a target. I, I completely agree with what with what Faye's saying. It, it, it the idea that it's just you know the it's just the vulnerable or it's just people who aren't technical technologically adept who get caught in these scams. It's just it's simply not true. And I've sat in a room for you know weeks on end watching scammers at work. We saw people from students through to people in their late eighties getting caught up in these scams with all kinds of different jobs, all kinds of different levels of technological proficiency. It just does not matter if you get caught with the right scam on the wrong day, you can be another victim. And unfortunately, you know, we see it happening every single day. And can we talk about reporting? What should you do if you spot a dodgy text, etc.? Or or if you think you or someone you know has fallen victim to a scam? If you've fallen victim to a scam, um, you should always, always report it to Action Fraud, which is the um, police um, cybercrime and fraud reporting unit. You can do that by phone or via their website. If you've received a text message, you can actually report it to your network and also block it from your phone. But unfortunately, um, as we've touched on, the fraudsters have an almost infinite supply of these numbers. So the second one gets taken down, another's likely to be used. Mm. Really, the best practice is to treat any unsolicited request for um, information or your financial details with extreme caution and try to verify it. I would say that, that from, from making the series, the absolute best thing we found just for those kind of scam calls that come where you think it might be might not sound quite right, the best thing you can possibly do to cut the wheat from the chaff is just to say to that person on the phone, okay, that's fine. If you are who you say you are, I'm going to call back that company on a number I can find for them. And the reason for that is if that person on the phone is a scammer, they will not want you to hang up that call. They will do anything they can to keep you on the phone. But like Faye said before, if it's a legitimate company, they'll be more than happy for you to take your time and call them back whenever you want. And as we touched on earlier, it does feel kind of odd that technology is advancing at such a speed, yet it doesn't seem to be enough to stop what seem like obvious scam red flags. Faye, are companies doing enough? We've had some notable successes in the last few weeks. Um, in terms of our asks to the industries involved. So, for example, 
scams involving um, people being convinced into sending bank transfers to scammers. Um, there was a time when almost nobody got reimbursed for those. Um, then there was a voluntary scheme in place, which is still in place now, which some banks have opted into, um, where they will reimburse you in most cases. And now it's actually going to be made compulsory. There are plans to to put it in law. So that's fantastic. That's something we've been asking for for years and years. And it's going to be a reality finally. But I mean, it does rather show that um, things essentially need to be in law and, and voluntary schemes often aren't quite enough. Another area that we've been campaigning on is the area of fraudulent paid for advertising on you know, social media sites, on search engines. And we've had a big success there too, in that they will now be brought into the scope of the online safety bill. Platforms, websites will have um, more of a duty to spot those sorts of things. And we hope they'll be more proactive in future. We are getting there, but there is still some way to go. And to end then, both Faye and Nick, do you have any parting tips for listeners on how they can protect themselves from scams? Any kind of lasting golden nuggets of advice? Um, So I would say, building on the take five advice that I gave earlier, um, don't worry about being rude. Politeness is your least concern when you are worried whether you might be listening to a scammer. Of course, you you don't need to be rude on purpose. I mean, I know some people enjoy uh, stringing scammers along um, and find it amusing. Um, But but It's not rude to say, actually, I'm going to put the phone down now and take some time to verify what you're telling me. Um, That should be your absolute least concern is causing offence to the person on the other end of the phone. And I think so many scams perpetuate based on people feeling somehow rude for for, um, trying to end or break off the conversation. Um, Never feel that way. It's completely legitimate. Trust your instincts. Put that phone down, take that five minutes, do a bit of research and see if you can verify what you've been told. I'm absolutely with Faye on that. And I think there's a there's a little follow on that I like as well, which is just having having watched the way that the, the scammers classify calls when people actually say to them, I think this is a scam or actually call them out and say, I'm sure this is a scam. That call centre will put you down as what's called a DNC. So they classify all their phone calls. If they put you down as a DNC, that's a do not call. So if you say to them, I think this is a scam, they will put you down as a do not call and that particular call centre will probably never call you again. Obviously, I would also add that Scam Interceptors is still on iPlayer and if you want to find out about the way that these call centre scams do work, we pick it apart as part of the show and you can see you know, what we do to try and stop people from losing money and hopefully raise a lot of awareness about the kind of scams that have been going around in the last six months or so. Thanks, Nick. Such a brilliant show, full of tension. And we should also mention that to stay one step ahead of fraudsters with updates on the latest scams to avoid, you can sign up to our free scam alert service. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash scams. Thank you so much to Faye and Nick for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Next week, we'll be discussing whether it's worth cutting pension contributions to help cope with the current financial squeeze. And if you have any questions you'd like us to cover in the episode, do let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or drop us an email at podcast at witch.co.uk. Please do also subscribe to the show to make sure you catch us again next week. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Charlotte Gifford.